Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Welcome back, folks. We are joined by Michael Heck, president and CEO of GNO Inc. He joins us uh, every Wednesday at this hour, and we appreciate saying, Michael, welcome to the show. Good morning, Noel. I always appreciate being allowed to speak with you. So we had the inauguration the other day. The transfer of power occurred Monday at 12 noon, and things are kind of moving pretty fast with a number of executive orders coming out and uh, moving to the first uh, special session. Yeah, I expect there to be uh, a lot of energy uh, around the first year of Governor Landry's administration. I think that fundamentally it's a reflection of his personality. Uh, He's a fast-moving, high-energy type of person. Uh, And I think it's also because he recognizes that he has this moment with this consolidation uh, of Republican power in Baton Rouge to really get things done. Uh, And certainly uh, through my participation on the New Orleans committee, there was definitely a focus, Newell, on what are we going to get done in the first 30 days? What are we going to get done in the next 60 days? What takes legislation? But um, there was very little talk about wanting to spend a lot of time uh, doing studies or talking about strategies. I think everybody recognizes that the clock is ticking. I don't know if you had a chance to review the call for the first special legislative session on redistricting. It turned out to be a lot more robust and diverse uh, topics than I thought that I expected to see. Yeah, you know, I was a bit surprised. I haven't reviewed it all, so you can kind of tell me live uh, what, what all is in it. But I expected it to be really focused on the redistricting issue, maybe possibly with something in there about uh, property insurance, because that's such a critical issue. Uh, but I know there are other things in there, like the question about the open primary. Uh, what, what else is in the session right now? Open, closed, uh, campaign financing as a result of that, um, you know, some ethics, um, and, uh, you know, obviously Supreme Court redistricting, congressional redistricting, right. uh, a lot broader. I mean, and it's not that long a period of time. I, and I got to imagine that the redistricting issues, both the, the Supreme Court and Congress, is going to be a little contentious, <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> yeah, you know that is uh, that's not going to be fun for everyone, and particularly for which every congressperson finds uh, him and herself, you know, <laughs> looking for a new job. But the reality of it is that um, if you want to get stuff done. Uh, right up front is the time to do it. Uh, when you're in the honeymoon period where people are much less likely to want to cross the governor uh, because, you know, here's them. And, and look, uh, you know, Governor Landry, I think, surprised even his own team by sweeping this thing, you know, in the open primary, 50%. So, um, you know, he definitely is driving the car. I think the flip side of that is that, you know, come three or four years from now, I think that he understands that he has an obligation to be able to turn around the trajectory, change the trajectory of the state, 
which fundamentally is going to be measured in population, you know, population in migration or out migration. With this type of control, um, you know, the blame really can't be laid on anybody else. Um, it's him and his team who are, are going to be driving it. I was looking at a study um, <clears throat> the other day by uh, in a report by Finance Buzz, 10 fastest declining cities in the U.S. The state of Louisiana has two. Number two on the list is the city of New Orleans, and number 10 on the list is the city of Baton Rouge. Um, and uh, that does not bode well for where we find ourselves at the present time. Yeah, it doesn't. And I, and I heard your interview with Treasurer Fleming, and, and I agree with a lot of what he had to say. I think first thing I would say, though, is that one of the challenges uh, that we have is just the way we draw our boundaries. If New Orleans were Phoenix and existed just by incorporating all the suburbs, you know, we wouldn't be there uh, on, on the top 10 fastest decline. And there's been movement around the entire region. That said, even the growth of the region has flattened out in recent years. So there's definitely cause um, for concern. And look, first and foremost, it, it's what John said. Uh, people follow jobs. It's about economic opportunity. So the first thing that we have to focus on is doing those things to create the conditions where businesses want to invest their capital and want to create jobs. That, that is the fundamental driver. Then the second one is what Governor Landry talked about a lot in his speech. It's these quality of life issues. It's, it's crime. Um, it's cost of living because of insurance. Uh, it's, it's safety from flood and storm. Uh, people have to feel like they are going to be safe and they're going to be able to be able to afford to live uh, you know, in, in, in a state. And then the final one, which has gotten less attention, but I think is actually really important, is this issue of brand, this issue of, of narrative. If you look at places like, like Texas and Florida, uh, they've got this great kind of brand momentum now that's coming from their governors, that in some cases is coming from their mayors, that basically is projecting themselves as these great places to find a job, great places to work. Place, you know, a place like Nashville is another good example, good balance of culture and economic opportunity. In Louisiana, really, the governor and the mayor are the two people best positioned to tell that story and say, you know, you can come here, but don't just come here for Mardi Gras. You can come here to work in trade. You can come here to work in advanced manufacturing, work in tech. And one of the things I'm hoping, and I've talked to the governor about this and the team, is that the Super Bowl in 2025 as the forcing function to tell these stories and really broaden the narrative about Louisiana and New Orleans and, you know, kind of people understand that it's not just <laughs> that New Orleans isn't just a city you want to date for a weekend. It's actually marriage material. But, you know, Michael, one of the things that, that strikes me is our approach to economic development. I've talked to a number of business owners who have opened up offices in other areas of the country. Uh, one in particular that I talked to opened up in Arizona and Kentucky as well as here, and they describe the differences in the, in the approach. And the approach there in Kentucky and Arizona was so incredibly different of uh, really just over-the-top assistance, uh, site location, site development, economic development package put together, uh, picking them up at the airport, the whole nine yards. And they've not had that experience in Louisiana. And, uh, and you know, here we are. We're in the first week of uh, the new administration, and um, we, we don't have anyone named to run the LED. Uh, and 
you know, and we've had over a month in between the election and now, and we focus and say economy, 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 economy. It seemed to me that would have been one of the first positions that I would have filled, right? I mean, I, I'd have been all over that um, because I think that sends the message, right? I mean, there's well, a way yeah, to let me, brand let me, let me get... and, 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 and sending subliminal messaging about where you're going to be uh, from a policy perspective. Yeah, so uh, let me address both parts of that because you're bringing up two really important um, topics. You know, one is that those states that are most successful at economic development do two things fundamentally. One is that they de-risk investment because they have stability, they have transparency, they can be trusted. And so uh, Virginia would be a good example of that. And I know Virginia pretty well because my friend Stephen Moray and now Jason Alcubi run economic development over there. The second is that they're welcoming. They do roll out the red carpet. They do have their political leaders welcoming business. They do have the business community welcoming business. And because when you do that, you're fundamentally making the decision for the consultant or for the CEO or the board, easy one. And so those kind of have to be, you know, the North Stars. Uh, to the second point you made, I, I, and it, because I've been in these conversations to some degree, I, I do very much think that the governor understands this. I think what's going on is there's a lot of consideration about what um, what LED should look like going forward, and they're really taking their time uh, because I think there is an understanding that we fundamentally have to move. The way we describe this is from going from an elephant hunting mentality where we're trying to go out and just capture a big company by offering the deepest incentives to what I would describe as creating more of a butterfly garden, creating the conditions that's naturally attractive to companies, to employees. We've got the smartest tax structure. We've got uh, good amenities. We've got safe streets. And I think that they're just taking a lot of time to consider how best to do that. So that that's I would interpret the um, – the timing as uh, because of the consideration, not because of the lack of prioritization. But one, and I don't mean this as a criticism because I, you know, we need him to succeed. I, I just make the observation that if, if that in fact is the thought process, share it, you know, cause I well, think there's a, I've, yeah. I've been involved in conversations over the last several days with people that there's angst, you know, they're wondering, you know, why, um, and I just, I just think it's worth the exercise of letting people know what the thought process is and what you're going uh, through, uh, uh, uh. you know, no, I hear you. Uh, at the I present time. And I mean, these are forward thinking individuals that have invested millions upon millions of dollars here uh, in the state of Louisiana. And they're curious, you know, and I'm, and, and, and I don't fault them because I have that same curiosity, um, because I heard what, yeah. you know, I, I take him at his word, right, you know, as to what he said uh, during, the, during the campaign. And, and, and I agree with a lot of the, uh, the, the policies that they're talking about that they, or, or the thought process that they have to go through in order to achieve success. Um, so I don't think it's a, it's a question of friction. It's just a question, really, of curiosity for many. But one of the yeah, things no, I wanted and, to and get you're right, yeah. No, go ahead. Go ahead. No, you go. You go. You go no, I was just going to agree with you. No, I, I was going to say one of the most troubling things, and, I, and, and it struck me in this study that I talked about with New Orleans and Baton Rouge, and, and I don't know if, if you've ever heard this stat before. I mean, I'm assuming it's true. 
22.9% of the homes in the city of New Orleans right now are unoccupied. That sounds like a, <laughs> I mean, a, a, a shock, you know, an odd stat. I mean, I was like, what? Yeah, I, I, the only way that I would really understand that without digging into it would be that they're Airbnbs and they're not technically occupied because they're being used uh, for rental income. Uh, that just doesn't make sense that a fifth of the, the homes are not occupied. I just don't, that's just not my experience here. Yeah, I mean, I, I just I, I don't know where that that number would come from. They also say that the city has has experienced a five percent population decline over the last three years, ending in twenty twenty two. No, well, um, that that that's accurate, and that's been, you know, we've looked at those numbers, Newell, and part of that has been people moving to to Jefferson Parish, moving to the North Shore. Um, you know, uh, moving to St. Bernard. And you can just look at, at Old Metairie Road, which is just booming, and kind of get a sense of, of that. But we're also beginning to see um, migration from the greater New Orleans region to places like Dallas and Nashville and Tampa. And in some ways, that's actually even more problematic, right? Because, you know, yeah, people are going to move absolutely. around, and, you know, that's why we have a region to give people different lifestyle options. But when people fundamentally leave, uh, then then we're truly losing their uh, their tax base uh, and their energy and their brains and probably their kids. So um, that's that's why this focus on the overall state of Louisiana, I think, is the right one. Yeah, and and obviously, I think insurance is driving a lot of that between flood and homeowners. I mean, you know, when you're talking about twenty to twenty five thousand dollar numbers, you got to go make forty grand to net the twenty five, and you know. <laughs> You're looking for a return on your investment. That that's that's money leaving you, and there's no way to make money on that money. <laughs> so. uh, that's right. You know, we we, we we ran we ran some numbers, Newell, on the jobs that Gina Wink's been involved in bringing here over the past 20 years, and the average wage of a quote Gina Wink job is 44 percent above the average wage of uh, of the region. But that 44 percent, which ends up you know being roughly twenty twenty five thousand dollars. As you said, just gets totally eaten up if we're paying this in flood insurance, homeowners insurance, and also auto insurance. Don't forget that yeah. we're second highest no. in the nation. So, you know, at the end of the day, it ends up kind of being an "is it worth it" question. And if we don't address these issues of affordability, then we end up moving towards kind of a barbell economy where there's some people who just don't have the means to leave, and so they're they're here. And those that do have uh, that do have uh, really good means can stay here because they've got a house somewhere else. And so not everything is tied up into their home or, frankly, they actually can afford you know, these exorbitant insurance rates. It's the middle class for whom their home is their most important asset and for whom they really just don't have the ability to float this higher cost of living. They're, they're the ones we end up live, losing. And you know, losing your middle class is, is never a good thing for social stability. No, not at all. Michael, let's pivot the uh, Mardi Gras study. Um, I don't know about you. Is, I, I guess is it fair to characterize this as an eye-popping uh, result? I mean, I, I thought that number was huge. It's a big number. I mean, to talk about the total direct and indirect impact of Mardi Gras being close to a billion dollars and over 3% of our annual GDP uh, just emphasizes what, what a huge hit it is. And the reality is, Newell, that's probably, you know, a conservative number because what it's not measuring is all the people that come to New Orleans throughout the year because of the brand 
of Mardi Gras because of the cultural uh, connection that they feel with New Orleans because uh, of the celebration. So, um, no, it's it's absolutely crucial uh, to our brand. And I think, you know, Walt Leger of New Orleans and Company had a nice nice quote about it. He said, only the people of New Orleans could dream of and execute such a technically complex, creative, and innovative celebration. And so, you know, in, in some way, our ability to pull this off you know, is one of the things that people see us doing on a world-class scale. And so I think there's also that benefit as well. <laughs> And but you know, and again, I I don't want to be the the thorn in people's side, but I I, I kind of have to make the observation. This does not come easy for these crews. You know, if you think about no. this economic development model that you've talked about in Virginia and everything about being welcoming and de-risking, you know, investment and everything else, we don't make this easy for these folks, <laughs> and they typically have to fight for every inch. And so when you see numbers like this, it, it, it really it created pause for me to say, you know, our approach here probably ought to be a little different. <laughs> you know? Well, I think that, you know, one of the things that I've observed uh, is that the people or groups who are often trying to shut down commerce or shut down innovation or shut down business are quite often people or organizations that are not doing very much in the way of contributing taxes or jobs themselves. There right. seems to be this asymmetry which gives you the moral high ground. And um, it does get tiring, and, and eventually people either give up or are afraid of trying. Um, so, no, it is critical throughout everything we do here, not that we give people free reign. I mean, it's very important to have guardrails that sure. respect property and that make sure that there aren't abuses happening. But at the same time, um, ultimately, and this is Houston to us going back to the 60s, people are going to flow like water to where it's easiest to get things done. Um, and so we have to de-risk and be welcoming in terms of, frankly, all elements of commerce and innovation, and, and that, that includes Mardi Gras. No, no doubt. Um, you had uh, your annual meeting um, set a number of records. No big surprise there. Yeah, well, it's coming up this Friday, so we're in the final countdown. We're looking forward to you broadcasting live from the room. Uh, yeah, we yep. actually had to move to a bigger room this year because uh, there was such demand. We have about 1,500 people coming, so it's going to be uh, quite the um, you know quite the party. Uh, the first hour is networking, and, and I think that what we're seeing is that people are still kind of coming out of this uh, COVID environment, and they just enjoy seeing each other again. There's very much a, a social reconnection that's happening. And then in the second part, we're going to talk about uh, the 20 years of Jane Oak. This is our 20th anniversary this year, and so we're going to talk about um, what we've gotten done over those 20 years. But I hope what comes out of this discussion uh, fundamentally is that we should feel pretty good about 2023, um, you know, for all the challenges that we just talked about, Newell, if you remember where we were a year ago coming out of 2022, uh, things were, 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 were pretty dark then. We were on the tail end of COVID. We were recovering from Ida. We were experiencing this, this really scary crime surge. And, um, you know, I think when we had our last meeting, we, we basically said, look, Greater New Orleans is at a tipping point. And either we come together and begin to fix these things uh, or, you know, we could end up being in real trouble. And if you look at what happened in 2023, 
uh, in terms of the money we got for infrastructure, the work we began to do on insurance reform, and the NOLA coalition, and you know the better numbers that we have in terms of violent crime coming out of 2023, I think we began to turn things around. And then you look at all the investment on the economic side, uh, which includes stuff in, um, in energy, like the $5 billion St. Charles Clean Fuel Project, the stuff that's happening in trade with the port going forward and tech. The year ended with Lauren Scott, who we usually pay to say these things, but we didn't pay him for this one, saying that he's giving Greater New Orleans one of his most optimistic forecasts ever. So, you know, I think we feel pretty good uh, coming out of this year that we were able to kind of stabilize and begin to come back after um, some pretty challenging times, uh, you know, a couple of years ago. Yeah, you know, I would agree. I had a very interesting conversation with J.P. Morrell yesterday about some of the things that they want to achieve, uh, that they that they achieved in 2023, that they want to carry forward to 2024 from a regulatory standpoint to be more transparent, to be more uh, de- uh, deliberative uh, there uh, so that people actually know uh, what to expect, you know, that there's no surprises. And fortunately, I think, Michael, and I, I love you real quick. We just got about a minute. But, you know, the state and the city both uh, seem to be very prudent in the way that they dealt with all of this federal money that was coming down. Um, and, it, and it looks to me like we didn't create all of these recurring expenditures that we were going to be uh, straddled with because there are a number of cities and states in this country that did just completely the opposite. And they're now having to do engage in budget cuts. And there's nothing worse uh, than a, a budget cutting environment. No, I mean, look, we have, we have a state that's coming in because of Governor Edwards with close to $3 billion of surplus, and it does feel like most of the federal money that we got from IAJ and others, about $10 billion, has been spent on one-time fixes and improvements um, and not on creating recurring expenses. So I, I, I agree with you. I think it's been um, a real boost, and um, a lot of folks take credit with it for that, including, you know, the infrastructures are Mitch Landrew, who was certainly nice to have uh, in the White House through this time. Absolutely. And I understand he's leaving that post to go be the is it the co-chairman of the reelection campaign for Joe Biden? Did I read that? He's going to do that and just going to be Mitch. There you go. All right. We'll be right back. We're visiting with Michael Heck, president and CEO of GNO Inc. Stay welcome. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. 
So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Back, folks, we're visiting with Michael Heck, president and CEO of G&O Inc. Uh, Michael, I wanted to point out as well um, some of the material that you provided that the Lumber Building Material Trade Organization recognized Louisiana's ninth best state for construction jobs in the U.S., uh, that's quite an achievement, and, and Louisiana's gross state product had uh, recorded at more than $219 billion, I think, is uh, one of the largest uh, in the history of the state, right? Yeah, that, that's some of the good news that Lauren Scott was talking about. Um, a lot of this is being driven by these energy projects. Certainly a lot of those construction jobs are the Venture Global Project down in Plaquemines, which has got something like 1,000 people working on it right now. But when it's up and running, it's going to still employ hundreds and hundreds. And so, yeah, this is part of the optimism about the future. And I think the good news is that, from what I understand, the new governor understands that this all-of-the-above approach to energy, which is you know, traditional fossil fuels done in the cleanest possible way, as well as new sources of energy like, like wind, like hydrogen, like bio, that if we do all this together, we can kind of lead the nation uh, and support a lot of jobs. So, yeah, um, it, it was great to see that recognition. I thought that was one of the highlights of his inaugural address, quite frankly. Oh, yeah, no, there's, there's, there's no doubt. I think that it's, uh, he, you know, there was some question about whether the approach to energy was going to fundamentally change between Governor Edwards and Governor Landry. And I think that the way it's described might change somewhat, but I think the fundamentals are going to be there, which is this recognition that, um, from an economic standpoint, from a security standpoint, um, from even a philosophical standpoint, we've got to be all of the above. And so um, I think that that's probably the highest potential sector for the state over the next decade. This is a a great entree into our all of the above energy policy. Uh, You have a special guest. He's kind of my all of the above guy, you know, (laughs) and – and don't be hold fooled on, by the hold accent. on, James. He's, James, hold on. <laughs> it, it, James is actually from is actually is, he's actually from from New Jersey, not Jersey, but uh, you know uh, he's the CEO of Gulf Wind Technology. Old friend came over from England many years ago with Blade Dynamics, and now he's going to be establishing the first ever wind turbine in Louisiana down at Port Fouchon. So I'm glad for him to be with us to talk about it. Well, James, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us today. So tell us about Gulf Wind Technology, what you do, and, and why the work that was announced the other day. I was reading an article about it in the Home of Times, and why is that being done here in Louisiana? Okay, thanks very much, Newell, and, and cheers, Michael. Yeah, it's been um, yeah, 13 great years of being in the wind energy industry here in Louisiana. Um and again, the that that first turbine, it's um, it's going to be a really useful asset for both the work that we're doing at Gulf Wind, uh, you know, supporting our customers developing technology, but also it's it's a chance to touch and feel and see a turbine, you know, that albeit um, a small one in the scheme of things, it's a low risk um, turbine. It's going to have a lot of new technologies on it. Um, we're going to get to work with some of our partners, both in the school system, with Jefferson Parish Schools, with the colleges and universities that, that Michael's organization, GNO Wind, has been you know, pulling this amazing consortia together, this kind of head of steam to get 
to understand how jobs can transpose into the wind energy industry. And this is hopefully going to be one, one piece of that puzzle that can, um, can help galvanize Louisiana as a, a real player in the wind energy industry. So it seems as though you guys are going to be in a lot of data collection mode with this project. Is that, is that the case? Yeah, we've been working uh, Gulf Wind for a couple of years now, and I guess um, most publicly we had a great um, industry collaboration with Shell as part of the Shell Gulf Wind Technology Accelerator. So we were doing some work on uh, some of the economics, some of the technologies that would allow wind energy to be profitable to, in the Gulf of Mexico, knowing that there's uh, lower than average wind speeds and that we've got the risk profile of of hurricanes and um, a lot of that work we do we start off in software we start off in virtual world and then we go through and we do work in the physical world but maybe on a subcomponent level like manufacturing components of it in our Avondale facility um, and then we break those components we test them uh, we put them in a wind tunnel we kind of get all the validation and this is the next logical step in the food chain, really, to, to de-risk technologies and to show that wind has a profitable place, albeit, you know, there's still some challenges today. Um, we believe that, you know, with the, right, um, with the right controls, you know, you've got to tune the rig, almost like tuning a sailboat to win in a low wind speed environment. You know, you've got to do some work to tune these wind turbines to actually perform to the to the um to the standards that are needed to make money as an energy asset so when so you're here you do it you're you're involved in this project now i mean what what do you see that excites you the most i mean obviously y'all have collected a lot of data you've analyzed a lot of data as you just uh, adequately described um you come out of that process what excites you the most about the wind and here in Louisiana? So, I mean, wind in general, I've, I've really, since I've been in Louisiana, I've seen the market grow from only a few thousand turbines in the States. This is onshore wind turbines to almost 90,000 turbines in the U.S. today and almost the same amount of full-time jobs. So you've got almost 85,000 jobs in, in North America devoted to onshore wind. And, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the skills that exist here in the Gulf South and certainly in Louisiana, are very well tuned to wind energy, both onshore and offshore. You know, whether it's domestic in our backyard or whether, you know, it's over in Texas or whether it's going on on the East Coast. And that could be whether you're, you know, linemen or oil and gas, you know, graduates of P-TECH courses or anyone that's done manufacturing. You know, there, there are, you know, well-paying jobs in this industry um, if people are willing to travel. Um, to get engaged and something that Gulf Wind have really enjoyed um, taking advantage of is growing a high performing team here locally and you know we're passionate about moving the market forward in our region but we're also you know we do lots of work with our customers in other states and, and get involved with other regions as well. Now I think um, Louisiana Wind Energy Week is uh, next week, from y'all's perspective, um, what do you see this event delivering, and, and why why is it why is it important? 
I guess from industry standpoint and the, the work that Gino Wind have done is you're pulling together people that want to understand what this industry is all about. You know, what are the what are the economics of it? What are the um, is there how do they get involved with the supply chain of the components? This is a this is a huge industry, you know, um, thousands of turbines being deployed per year, which is essentially tens of thousands of tons of converted material and subassembled components. So um, having this Wind Energy Week, it, first off, it lets companies and individuals it demystifies it. You know, what's going on with the supply chain? Uh, what's going on with the workforce? How do they get involved? And is it going to be profitable? Is it something that can be value-added for individuals and businesses? Well, James, thank you so much for joining us. James Martin, CEO of Gulf Wind Technology. Best of luck uh, to you. I know that uh, Michael and I talk about wind technology in the future uh, of the state of Louisiana, and obviously it seems as though it's playing a bigger and bigger role as each month goes by. And, and uh, we love to hear about all the advances in the technology and otherwise. And I know that a lot of people are very curious about this and, and how it's going to play out uh, in this state. So thank you for joining us today. I uh, appreciate your time and your insight. Thank you very much, Neil. Thanks, Michael. Cheers. Thanks, Ed. We'll see you Friday. Right, Cheers. That was James Martin, CEO of Gulf Wind Technology. We'll be right back. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. And folks, we'll be broadcasting live from the GNO Inc. Uh, annual meeting, 1,500 attendees uh, from the Hyatt uh, right here in New Orleans. Michael, you know what's really exciting about uh, what James was talking about and what they're doing is it's going to be the first uh, on-site um, turbine in Louisiana. And I love when he says it's a small one. It's 187 feet tall. It's a wee little yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, it's a little bitty one. And uh, it's actually going to be, and they'll be able, you, you can touch it, you can feel it, you can see it. It's going to provide power for one of the um, Greater Lafourche Port Commission buildings and also um, uh, provide some basic infrastructure for the uh, Land and Water Conservation Fund uh, Coastal Wetlands Park there. So this is going to be, you know, uh, a, a first of hopefully many, but I, it's really exciting because, I mean, you know, we, we talk about this in the abstract, but it's going to be nice to go down here and see it and, and you Absolutely. know, and gain and, and a better look, understanding the, of it. And the thing that people have to understand is that actually wind is a triple opportunity for us here in Louisiana. One is going to be wind power in the Gulf, providing industrial and residential power, which is what James is working on. 
The second is us building wind structures and vessels for the rest of the country, which is what, for example, Edison Schwest is doing uh, for, oh, for Orstel. They're building these, these large vessels. And the third thing is us using wind to industrial use. And so, you know, it's it's actually a very broad opportunity for us. And again, like as you said, the more that we can see, touch, feel, I think the more people are going to think that it's real and going to get. Yeah, I mean, because I think there's still naysayers out there, right? And um, Oh, absolutely. And, and, you know, because it's just so new for us. I mean, you, they, it's been in, in Europe and in a number of the Nordic countries for a while, uh, now and we've just really been behind the eight ball but we up in the northwest they they've had it there for years and have been successfully using wind up there for a long time that's right look what i like about james is that he's honest about the challenges you have to understand hurricanes you have to be more efficient in moderate wind and also the fact that our electricity right now is cheap we have natural gas and nuclear electricity which means it's hard to beat but none of those things mean that we shouldn't have, again, an all-of-the-above strategy, and particularly if it's not just for Louisiana, if we are building and installing around the rest of the country. Then, you know, then, Newell, we're selling shovels to the gold miners, and that's the best way to get rich. <laughs> yeah, I love it. <laughs> all these little little nuggets uh, provided by Michael. They should have had me on the Golden Globes. It would have worked out better. <laughs> Much better. Trust me. <laughs> no doubt about it. Michael, thank you so much as always. Uh, always enjoy the hour. Uh, have a great week, my friend. We'll see you Friday, actually. Um, so I'll we see get you to Friday visit twice. and yeah, fourteen hundred so nine hundred other people. That's correct. We and we look forward to it. We're happy to be in that number. Michael Heck, President and CEO of GNOA. Have a great week, my friend. Thank you, Neil. You too. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Welcome back, folks. When we come back after the top of the news break, we'll visit with Guy Williams, president of Gulf Coast Bank and Trust. We'll talk about the jobs report. What does it mean for interest rates? The insurance cost problem. It's not just here in Louisiana. And there's a short window to approve government funding. We'll talk about uh, tax revenues and what states have done right, what they've done wrong, and other economic issues as well. Stay with us. We'll be right back. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's the most anticipated WNBA season in history. And you know what that means. Court is back in session. Welcome to Queens of the Court, an Odyssey original podcast. I'm your girl, Cheryl Swoop, And I'm Jordan Robinson. All WNBA season long, we'll be bringing you interviews with star athletes, analysis on your favorite teams, and lots of hot takes. Order, order in the court. Follow and listen to Queens of the Court on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. 